0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here.
1: Hey, Glenn. Mm. I reckon we have a bit of a showdown, me and you. Really? Yeah. Okay. Really find out who's a better trainer. Ooh, now you've
0: fucking thrown the cat amongst the pigeons, haven't you? Yeah. I reckon we get
1: puppies, Mm. brothers or something like that, and have a bit of a competition, see who can raise it the best.
0: Okay. So now that you've thrown the gauntlet out there, where are you thinking that we're going to get these magnificent specimens from? I want to get duchies or shepherds. Yep. So, if we're going to get them, the
1: only place in the world that anybody should be looking to get mm. a German Shepherd or a Dutch Shepherd from is House Amberg Shepherds in Germany.
0: Oh, good call. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like this. All right. So, now that we've got the dogs, yeah. what's the next part of the evolution? Well, the good
1: news is mm-hmm. they they can send those Shepherds anywhere in the world. Yep. So, what about we get one sent here to Australia. Right. And you'll train that one. Okay. And I'll get one sent to myself in North America. Mm-hmm. But we're going to need training equipment to train those
0: dogs. Right. So I guess that I have to go and talk to the bullfed. Yeah. So your gear, all your dog training needs, because mm-hmm. we'll start fresh. We'll get all new everything. Everything. All your dog training needs yep. will be met by Ainswick Dog Quip. Oh, the bullfed himself. Yeah. Okay. So I can get myself some mills, some great leads, some collars. All that Training stuff. devices, treats, balls, whatever I need. Yeah. You'll be able yep. to get that from Ainswick because yep. you're going to be here in Australia. Well, that means that you have to go up. North, further north yep. in in North America, yeah, and go and see old mate Mach Le Point, Yep. and get everything from Canon Dynamics. Oh, Canon Dynamics, Yep. yeah, I'll get
1: the leashes I need, the tugs I need, everything. I think I can even get bite suits. Everything, yeah, I can get that from Canon Dynamics. Yep, if I'm in North America, mm-hmm. there is one part of this that is somewhat unfair. Well, you get to hang out with Melanie Benware. Yeah. So I'm actually going to get my dog. Tra- I'm not going to do any of the training. Yep. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to get a play and train mm-hmm. done where Mel's actually just going to come to my house because I'm going to take that dog to Richmond, Virginia. Yep. Ashland, Virginia Ashland. as well. Ashland, Ashland Virginia. Virginia. Yep. So everything both areas. Yeah. Uh, I can be either one of those mm. and I'm just going to go do something else nine to five and she'll come into my home,
0: train that dog while and- you're sipping. Cafe lattes. Just, just gallivanting yeah. all over. Gallivanting. The world.
1: <laughs> Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart, and I'm joined by my co host, Glenn Cook. Hello, Mr. Pat Stewart. How are you, sir? Yeah, I'm good. What's going on out there at pet resorts? Anything exciting?
0: It's getting busier. The bookings are starting to come back in. And now that the overlords are unlocking the state, things seem, to be getting, <laughs> things seem to be getting back to normal a little bit. We're starting to see activity. We're starting to see movement. We're starting to see confidence. We're starting to see more dogs coming in. We're starting to see more cats coming in. So it's quite exciting. The staff are very positive and we're feeling more confident that we'll be able to recall more staff back to work. It's looking good, and I don't want to jinx it. I'm going to touch wood right in front of the desk here so I don't jinx anything, yeah, but um, it's exciting for stop us. Stop it's talking about it. Yeah, it's well, it's exciting It'll for us. Tough. It's exciting for the industry, and it's exciting for the other people who are involved in the same sort of daycares and training and boarding and whatever industry they're in. It doesn't matter if they're cafes or pubs or whatever. Anybody in our audience who's getting back to work or getting more work, I'm really happy. I know we are really happy for you. That's wonderful. That's exactly what we want to hear. And this is what we've been working for. I think they're saying that even kids are going back to school soon, going back to kindy and so forth, which will be a relief for parents to be able to have their time and move Oh my around. God, yes. Mm. <laughs> yes. You know what I got to do is I got to liaise with you and find out when
1: I can book in that seminar that I had to cancel. Mm. So that's exciting. I need to get that going. So if you're listening, stand by because- It'll be short notice. I want to do it as soon as I can, as soon as it's allowed, as soon as it's legal. I want to get it done. Makes me very uncomfortable. holding people money like that.
0: Mm, I'd probably say early next year. By the time they sort of allow proper movement around and flights to open back up properly, you're looking around about December. So I would probably suggest thinking about it in February.
1: Yeah. Anyway, that's a problem for the future.
0: Yes. Hey. You have a topic that you want to talk about? Yeah, it's a topic that I've been seeing people muttering around in the interwebs, and I thought to myself, "Hmm, there is a little bit of meat attached to that, and perhaps you and I could nut it out amongst ourselves." Uh, we just
1: solve all the problems.
0: Yeah, that's right. We'll just <laughs> we'll just unlock the knowledge of the universe and bring it down and see how we can bullshit it out to the masses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the topic was. What would a world without tools look like? Mm -hmm. So is that that they never existed or they were banned today? To answer the question correctly, what would happen if tomorrow we all woke up and we weren't allowed to use prong collars, remote trainers, electric collars, correction chains, martingales, head halters? What would the world look like without those for dogs?
1: Hmm. Tricky question.
0: Yeah, it is a tricky question. And I've been watching the responses of people talking backwards and forwards on it. And obviously, there's groups that are just singing hallelujah in the very beautiful baritone voice because to them, that's just the answer to all their prayers. And to other people, mm-hmm. they just see that as a sign of complete hopelessness and devastation because they feel, and which I tend to agree with, so people might feel that this is biased because I'm a tool supporter, so there is bias there, but I feel that this would be cascading. And that's the concern that I have is that where does it end? Because as I was talking to you before we actually got on air when we are talking about the subject, my concern is there's always layers like there is in our own government. There, you know, like we've got local government, state government, federal government, and then, you know, you've got international powers and it just goes on and on and on. Bill Gates. Bill Gates, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. So right well, at the top of the Illuminati pyramid, we've got Bill Gates putting Wi-Fi yeah. into all of us. He's basically giving Those us free Wi-Fi. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'm happy. If it works better than this fucking connection we're trying to maintain here, I'm happy. Yeah, you Inject just- with um, that. I'm good you,
0: to go. You just put a cord in your arm right next to your injection site and away you go. You'll pick up 5G. Totally fine with it. Yeah.
1: Totally um, fine with
0: it. Like that leveling that I was sort of putting out there, that's the concern that I have in thoughts on animal welfare as well, is there's a group that don't like those tools and don't want to see them in use, but there's also a shadow group over that who don't want their tools as well, and then there's a group above that who don't want them with certain dogs, and then there's a group above that who don't want any pets in society as well. You know, like I've had this Mm. conversation with people before, and I mean- in episodes, we've talked about this and it comes up in, in general groups. But the the problem is, is where does it end? And that's the, that's the question people really need to keep asking themselves is if this stops and this is made law, then like most laws that we tend to see these days, once parties start creating laws, it's very, very, very rare that they redact the old laws not only are the new laws now in place, but now we've got old laws and new laws that are combining with each other, that even though people say, well, this oversees the old laws, but the problem is that some of the old laws intermingle with the new laws, and then it becomes very confusing for everybody, and especially when it starts playing out in courts and legal issues. For me, I think it's a concern. I'm still going to maintain the same level of thought, and I won't speak for you, I'm sure that To a large part, you agree with this, but my feeling and my perseverance with all of this is education is key, not banning. Education and even difficulty in owning and possessing certain things, and I'm not talking about impossibility, I'm just talking about making it more difficult if it's a problem for people, like if it's a real ethical issue and people see that some of these things are that diabolical that there needs to be a restriction on them. All they need to do is simply do what they do with other items which are a concern in public areas is to say, I believe there needs to be a higher tier of education and that's how you not only are able to use these tools, but you need to maintain a standard or a level that is appropriate and binding and fit within the community and even with whatever government is controlling at the time. I know this is a can of worms. I know it's a problem. My concern, one of them is who watches the watchers. That's always a concern. Who governs this? That's always going to be something that is going to be very hard to agree on within certain groups. The other thing is what levels of control do we go to? But I think we've got to start somewhere. I feel that we really need to have more adult conversations around this rather than just two tribes going to war all the time. It just plays out in my head all the time like Frankie goes to Hollywood singing Two Tribes. That's all I hear about this sort of thing. I just watch one group shouting down the other group and the other group defending themselves and it becomes really just a ruckus in the end. And that's all I see is just a ruckus of two tribes warring with each other. And I feel sad about that because personally I feel that there's always somebody above those two tribes rubbing their hands together going, well, would you look at that? These two idiots are just beating each other's head in with a stick and they're doing all the cleanup and all the mop-up that we're trying to do anyway. That's my concern. And that's why I just want and would honestly hand on heart encourage people to have more adult conversations about this. Look through the offense. Look through the personal hurt. Look through whatever is troubling you about this and saying, we're always going to be at odds about this. How can we find a suitable middle ground where – all of us really can sit down and not look at it as there has to be one side that wins predominantly over the other one. How can we all sit at this table and devise some sort of education package so we can make this sufficient that all of us can feel happy enough to walk away and saying, well, that's it. Now there is a standard set. If you are qualified and you pass that standard, then you are qualified to use those tools and to be able to humanely use them on dogs because regardless of how people feel about them and how outraged they are, you've seen it, I've seen it, and multitudes of other people in our industry have seen humane use of the tools that are outraging some people. Mm. This is another area which inflames people and causes concern is there's always the supposed evidence and the facts around each party saying, well, I've got the evidence, I've got the science, I've got this, I've got that. That's why I'm saying let's put that aside because that argument has just run its course over time. It's not getting anywhere. It's just, again, it's just two tribes bouncing off each other. We have to find that middle ground somewhere because I just feel that there will be certain sharks that will start to look at you within the waters and you don't want them to. I just feel that we need to work beyond that to find some sort of workable and practical and logical solution and get on with it from here on in. That's my rant. Mm.
1: For the most part I agree, there's a couple of little things that I would change. At the moment I'm working on this video. I'll try and explain it here. I've got this concept in my mind that I think would be helpful for most people to sort of understand, but it's quite visual. I'll try and explain it, but I intend to make a video. It's going to be one of the whiteboard style ones, right, where I'm going to explain things. And I think that in dog training for the you know, in the industry, we kind of think that there's two camps, right? There's whatever labels we put on it, force-free, uh, positive only, plus or whatever, like there's one here and then there's the balance trainer camp over here. And if you imagine those as two squares next to each other, I don't think that's helpful. And I actually don't think that's very accurate either. Mm. I think that there more are uh, scales and there's like high points at the margins. And on one side, we say that there's people who, want to ban tools, like absolutely get rid of all the tools, they can't be here. And then on the other side, like at the far point, there's people who would only use tools and don't ever use any positive reinforcement beyond maybe giving the dog a pat now and again. Like So we're talking the sort of yank and crank style trainers. And then I imagine it kind of swooping down to meet in the middle where you've got people who like they – certainly less likely to use tools or maybe don't at all, but acknowledge training, real training and how it works. And they don't want things banned. They just want people to train in a particular way. And we've spoken about this quite a bit that I think that you've really got to look at people's motivations. So saying that I want you to not be able to use an electric collar, that's actually a really different thing from saying, I want you to use positive reinforcement instead of an electric collar. You see now, and like, that's a really different person's motivation. And so the people who are saying like, you shouldn't be using electric collar, what they're often not saying is like, you should be using these reinforcers and how you should use them because they probably don't really understand any of that themselves very well. Like it's the people on the margins that are really not very good trainers. Or I think certainly in our industry, a lot of the problems that we have are caused by people who have have very low skill sets or are very new to the industry and are sort of very gung ho in their opposition of what they think is the other. And so when you work those two groups together, I think like, you know, this plus R or as we become more towards the center, we say like the plus R people who acknowledge that tools are effective and work, but choose not to use them, right? And they can choose not to use them for lots of reasons. They might be that they just don't think that it's the best or most effective way of doing it. Could also be that they have done the cost-benefit analysis of the risk versus reward, right? And have decided, nope, like I'm better off not using those things. but I don't mind that others do and then you kind of cross this little divide onto the other side and you get people who are almost identical in their ethos they just think like well i've done the cost benefit analysis of whether i should use those tools and it comes up okay right like i've decided that the risk outweighs the the risk does not outweigh the reward and so i've decided to use these tools and i use them effectively what i think anyway is that I have more in common as a person who I call myself a balance trainer if we're going to use that term, but I use the full spectrum of motivation. I use anything that I can to reinforce a dog. Whatever the dog wants, I'm happy to use as reinforcement so long as it's safe for the dog. And I use whatever tool I think will help me communicate with the dog in an effective way and that I feel comfortable using and you know and competent using. And I think that I have far more in common and I identify much more with a lot of people who call themselves plus R trainers and don't use those tools than i do with the yank and crank trainers i feel like even though we both get put into the same if we're just going to talk binary right we both get put into the same basket i don't really identify with them and the problem is with the people on the margins of those two groups they're the ones that tend to cause the most problems make the most noise but they don't ever communicate with each other. So like when the yank and crank people say positive reinforcement training is ridiculous, you people don't know what you're doing. The extremists don't hear them. The only people that hear them are the plus R trainers that are like, well, are you a moron? Because look how effectively I'm training this dog, right? Mm. And when you get the people who are banned the tools, get rid of all the tools, you you guys are idiots, you don't know what you're doing. The Yank and Crank guys don't hear them. It's us that hears them. We then look at that group of people and think they're representative of the mass of the plus R community, and they're just not. So I feel like for us who are full spectrum of motivation trainers, I use way more positive reinforcement than I do negative reinforcement. Well, I use quite a lot of negative reinforcement as I get more skillful at it, but certainly punishment, I don't use a lot of it. We have far more in common with each other than we do with the people we claim to be in the same group, but are on the margins and a removal of the idea that there even is a group, I think would be beneficial to everybody. And it would be that, Hey, like within the type of training that I do, I have made the decision to use tools or to not. And, and the thing is as well, there's people who are like, yeah, I use e collars, but I don't use prongs or I use prongs and I don't use e collars. And I think Those are the really interesting people to talk to because the reason they would do that is they'd say, I'm not confident in the use of it. Like I understand, I see how it can work. I see the results. I can look at people who know what they're doing. I can look at their dogs. I can see their dogs with it on and acknowledge that it works. But I don't feel like I have the training or the capability to do that. right? And I think that when you get a a person who uses a prong collar but not an e-collar and tells you that's why they don't use an e-collar. They have more in common with the plus R trader that acknowledges like, no, e-collars don't kill dogs. They're just a training tool that when used effectively and correctly can work, but I don't think people use them very well and, and therefore I don't want them to use them or I don't want to use them. They're really having the same conversation. They're talking about the same thing. So I feel like the way that you would train, the the way you train dogs will comes down to first your life experiences up to the point of that day? What have you seen? And I think that people's first dog training, their first person they interact with is a critical person in how they will end up perceiving the world of dog training for the rest of their time in dogs. And so some people come into it and their their life experiences says to them, no tools are bad, and I shouldn't use it, or I choose not to use it. And some people come in and say, "Oh, I've no. I my first impression of tools was this beautiful finesse use, and that's how I think they can be used." And then, so there's you know life experience to that point. There's education, and as you said, there's a great body of evidence. And I like people can't see me doing my inverted commas thing, but there's a great body of evidence on both sides of that argument, right? And you can pull out a paper that makes any point that you want in dog training, right? Because people write them in order to prove their points and we could go through and we could dissect them and come up with like, what does this really show? And we could probably figure out which ones are actually worth paying attention to, but evidence is the papers. When we say, Hey, where's your scientific evidence? And someone pulls out a peer reviewed paper. Even if you don't think it was done very well, we have to go, okay, well you have it. And then we can have the conversation about tearing it apart. But so, like I say, I think it's life experience to that point. It's their education. And then the other thing that pisses me off that dog trainers don't acknowledge very much is there's probably a genetic component to that. Like we look at dogs all the time. All the time we look at dogs when we talk about genetics, especially in the working dog world. We look at dogs and we say he has it or he doesn't, or we can make predictions about the way the dog is going to do certain things. And we talk about bloodlines and we talk about how we know, oh, they'll mature at this rate in that bloodline and, and you know, you're likely to see this tri- in that bloodline or whatever and then in people we don't acknowledge the driving genetics that would make us act in certain ways so sometimes like i'll bet that there's some sort of genetic component that pushes people that mixed with their life experience mixed with the education that they've had available to them that genetic component is what pushes them one way or another as to whether they feel comfortable in the use of tools or not so from my point of view i think that even paying attention to the people at the margins is problematic right the people who are demanding that all tools be banned and that everything is love and puppies and everything goes well even acknowledging them is problematic because they typically the ones that are calling for things to be banned aren't good dog trainers in fact most of them aren't even dog trainers they're very well-meaning pet parents who don't really know what they're talking about and then Paying too much attention to the yank and crank guys who are talking about dominance theory and training and that kind of stuff and you know, telling people they should alpha roll their dog and spit in their food and all that fucking stupid shit, we should also not be paying attention to them. And the overwhelming majority of us that sit within the middle should be Communicating with each other openly. And what is more than likely to happen is that we convince each other little bit by bit. And the conversations that we have with each other, I don't think should be to convince each other, but that's probably what would happen as a side effect. Like when we look at things and we say, hey, you know, in this circumstance, you might have a, we might have a conversation with someone and say, "In this in this circumstance, how would you train this behavior? And I say, oh, I would do it one way. And they say, oh, I would do it the other. And then maybe I get an opportunity to try it your way. Or maybe you get an opportunity to try it my way because the circumstance dictates it or you're frustrated with yours or you're not getting the results that you thought you were going to get from your method. And we kind of level out. And I think the other thing that's kind of important to acknowledge is people can change. When I came into dog training, I came in, As a plus R, force free, whatever, because my life experience, my education and probably some genetic component led me to make that decision at the early point of coming in. But then it was because of my life experience and continued education that I decided I was like, nah, I think I'm okay with moving over to that side because I want to use the tools and I want to be more effective in doing that. So it's okay for people to change and decide, oh yeah, I want to go over here and give this a go. And then you can vice versa, you can say like, you know what, I've had enough of this. And for whatever reason, you could say, I don't want to use the tools anymore. And that might be because it just doesn't sit well with me anymore. Or maybe you could be like, I want the challenge. I've decided to try and raise a dog without it. And there's loads of reasons why you could do that kind of thing. What I will say on that is that I've had a few people say to me, and and it gets sort of thrown around to people like me, And there's many, you know, there's hundreds of us or thousands who I communicate a lot with the plus R community and I try and draw from them as much as possible. But I also think that my tools are very important and I'm more effective with it. I get that challenge, you know, of like, well, why don't you try and raise a dog without tools, try and raise a dog just like plus R without any tools on it and see how far you can get and show that it can be done. And the reason I would never do that, like a... Me, a couple of years ago, probably would. I think it would have been an ego thing to say like, yeah, well, here we go. I'll show you that it can be done or that I can do it. The reason I don't do that with my current dog is because I just don't think that that's the best way for me to train and the dog that I have currently. And what I would never want to do is say, okay, I'm going to get this puppy and say, I'm going to do PSA with another dog. I'm going to get this puppy who I know nothing about and I'm going to commit to training that puppy in any way, shape, or form. I think that's a fucking ridiculous thing to do. I think that I'm going to get this puppy and I'm going to raise it with an end goal and we're going to negotiate every hurdle that we come across and we're going to do the best thing for that dog in that circumstance. And so when I say to someone or if someone was to say to me, we want you to raise that dog no tools – And if I were to agree to do that, it would be purely from ego and it would not be in the best interest of the dog. Saying that is like saying, I want you to raise this dog using only a ball, but not the frisbee. It's saying you must train the dog in a particular way. And we don't even know who the dog is. We don't even know what challenges we're going to face with that dog. And so committing to doing things in a particular way is in my opinion, just ego or dogmatic dogmatism driven, not evidence-based and not actually in the interest of the dog. And we've said it a million times, like most of the people who are really effective dog trainers have it in their mind that they're training the dog in front of them, but they're training with kindness. And it's just sort of a variance on what they believe is the kindest thing to do. And again, what makes you feel that way is going to be relevant life experience. It's going to be your education and probably some genetic component, Mm -hmm. right? So that's my sort of big long ass rant about that. <laughs> there's, then there's more to unpack about. Like, what would a ban look
0: like if and when it happens? That's really where the origins of this question is getting to is what happens. Let's say, for example, that there's a party that comes in and says, okay, we've got government backing all tools that you're using for training currently. Well, tools that are considered aversive, they're off the market now and they're considered illegal. What does that look like for? Dog ownership? What does that look like for dog sports? And what does that look like for the future of dogs in general?
1: Yeah. So, there's two things I think to talk about that in what would that look like logistically? And then, what effect would it have if it were able to happen? And I think the first thing, talking about what would that look like logistically, is at what layer of government would you expect to see that ban happen? Because, like here in Australia, a lot of the dog laws are enforced at that local council level right and then the actual animal cruelty act is written at the state level and then we have federal level as well so when you see people who are these super advocates for banning tools and they want to essentially what a lot of people i think in the industry that are doing that they're essentially trying to legislate their competition out of business but at what level are you going to do that because i would make the argument that dogs here in australia no matter how they're trained by a professional trainer, no matter what tools they're using, probably have a better existence than the dogs that I saw in Afghanistan, right? That are forced to fight and kicked in the street and treated like shit. They're just not treated in a, the manner in which we even identified dogs with, right? They're, just culturally, that's just not how they treat dogs.
0: They're looked at as a beast of so, burden, a necessary evil to speak.
1: Yeah. So at what level, if you really think that banning tools or, increase the well-being of the animal welfare that's essentially what we're, we're talking about if you really think that you're trying to increase animal welfare at what scale are you trying to do that because are you trying to make the top five percent of dogs in the world whose lives are already fantastic are you trying to increase the quality of life of them or are you more interested in getting the bottom five percent of dogs who never see outside of a cage and who you know are eaten like as is around the world do you want to increase the quality of life of them and what we've seen and i'll tread carefully as i talk about afghanistan again is people only give a fuck about what's right in front of them right because there's people complaining about Their civil rights being infringed upon and the world moving in a particular way. Meanwhile, we allowed Taliban to take over Afghanistan again, where gay people are going to be fucking murdered in the streets. Musicians are going to be thrown off buildings and women are no longer going to be allowed to be educated, right? So when people start talking about their liberties, their basic human rights, they're only interested in their own not the majority of the world. And that's, I think, the same when you talk about people who want to ban tools. I want to do it for the increase of welfare of dogs. Well, there's a lot you can fucking do to increase the welfare of dogs as a whole, dogs as in the species, before you started taking tools off of other trainers. Because, like, even the the most staunch, ban all the tools, crazy force-free person and the yank and crank beat every dog into submission person they both care for dogs way more than the majority of people do in say third world countries where the dogs don't even have a noticeable owner and get run over in the street and nobody stops right so if you really were interested in trying to increase the welfare of dogs that would be the place to start you're going to have way more effect in that space than you are in trying to stop someone from training a dog someone who cares enough to train a dog someone who can identify hey this dog's aggressive and that's a problem and rather than just straight up killing him i'm going to train him now regardless of the method by which you choose to train that dog The fact that you even think that that's a worthwhile thing to do separates you from the huge majority of the world that are just like, no, we'll just kill it or ignore it or, you know, whatever it is that that problem will go away in some other fashion. So I just think it's really counterproductive and we're not looking at things on a, you know, a big enough scale to see them for what they really are. When you look at one dude who misuses an e-collar and the dog is shut down by the very side of the e-collar, on the scale of dogs being trained and dog welfare that is a drop in the ocean as well as when you look at the reactive dog that's clearly being the reactivity has clearly been brought on and caused by the people who refuse to use any form of negative feedback to the dog and their timing and association to positive reinforcement has caused a hectic nature in that dog which we see all the time and i could point you to facebook pages of force-free dog trainers who have done exactly that, and we can break down and show the problems that they've caused with their dog. The two of those big issues that we look at and go, Look at this fucking horrible person on both counts, ruining that dog on both counts. At least they're making an attempt. They care about the dog, both of them care about the dog enough to be trying to do something about it. They just have different ideas about how it would be done. But they're very similar people. They're dog people. And like I say, If you really are worried about the animal welfare as a greater whole, they're not the problem. Neither of them are the problem. The real problem is the people that run a dog over in the street and don't give a shit Mm. or force dogs to fight. Or like I've seen people force dogs to fight and then set them on fire at the end, right? So like that's the reality of the situation. So when people start getting diving into this minutia of like the tools have to be banned, Okay, but at what level of government and where and how are you going to enforce that around the world? And rather than banning them, driving the use of them underground by professionals and people will continue to use those all around the world who are outside the industry and don't know that they're banned, why don't we educate people and make the education so easily accessible that you can't help but fall over that information? And so if you decide that you want to use a tool, you go, oh, cool, like here it is. Because I think one of the other things as well is we talk about stopping people being able to use prong collars and e-collars doesn't stop people using aversive techniques on the dog. It stops them using the tools that make those aversive precise, accurate, and clearly communicate to the dog their intent what it ends up with is people kicking the shit out of their dogs because that's how some people's brains work, right? Like some people, when they go, oh, the dog doesn't do what I want him to do or he does something I don't want him to do, I will beat him up. And so – the people, when you take the any of the tools that a trainer could go to them and go, hey, how about we put on this prong collar and we'll show the dog how to manipulate pressure via the prong collar, we'll reinforce him for doing some of the things that we do want him to do. We'll make that a viable option for him. And if he still does the thing we don't want, we'll apply some aversive at that point and make him not want to do that again. And we'll make sure that we guide him towards the behavior that we do want, right? They don't have access to those people that are going to be able to offer that information And if they say, well, i got someone over and someone just says, throw cookies at the dog. And even if they were the best plus R trainer in the world, you are not going to appeal to some people. Some people, because of their previous life experience, their education, and probably a genetic component, are inclined to not do that. And they need access to the people who can teach them how to use the tools correctly, because absent those people and absent the tools, they're just going to kick the shit out of the dog. right? And then the conversation then goes to, well, then... Well, there should be laws around who should own a dog, right? If you do that, kind, if you're inclined to do that, you shouldn't be allowed to own a dog. And that's the slippery slope that you were talking about Mm. because now it's like, oh, now I've got to get a permit to own a dog, do I? right? And now what are the other restrictions on that permit, right? What else are the barriers that are in the way of me being able to get a dog? So if I'm not allowed any tools and therefore you're worried about how I'll treat the dog and I have to get special permission, every single person has to get permission to get the dog. What are the other gateways? What are the other steps that I have to go through to get your permission as the government, whoever it is that's enforcing this? How else do I have to appease you to even be allowed to own a dog? Mm. And how do you increase that difficulty level to the point where I just decide not to get a dog? And then suddenly Peter gets what they want and nobody's owning dogs anymore. Boom, Tish, I'm done.
0: (laughs) Have you ever seen the movie American Gangster? Yeah, of course. Mm, Great movie. And it's another one in line where I'm going to use a scene from a movie to explain how I feel about some of these situations. Because I've seen this in so many different environments before that it almost makes me sick to my stomach the way humans behave when they're backed into a corner. And then they decide, okay, well, if my world is going up in flames, so is yours. And I'm going to be the one who throws the match on top of your tinderbox as well. So in the movie American Gangster, basically having seen it, it's a spoiler alert with Denzel Washington. It's a great movie. I would recommend anybody watch it he's a chauffeur for a, a gangster who ends up educates him and teaches him the ways of the street and business and so forth. And he takes the best of what that guy taught him. And he basically becomes this, or how would you describe it? A high tier drug boss, a kingpin. Yes. That's exactly the word I was looking for. He becomes a kingpin and brings his whole family into it. And all these friends in the community. And basically like it does in most of these things, it's all good. while well, the going's good, but then it turns to shit and long story short, After he gets caught, he basically starts turning everybody in because he he thinks to himself, well, in order to reduce my sentence and make my life more comfortable and fuck all these other guys anyway, because the gig's up for me, I'm going to throw everybody else under the bus and turn them all in. Everybody who was involved, they're all going down. That sounds ridiculous, but that's a part of human nature as well, is when you start fucking in the livelihood of other people, they primarily think, oh, well, I'm going to make life difficult for you now because it's not forgive and forget in this situation. It's fuck you. I'll primarily start unleashing the dogs of war back in your direction. People might say, well, that's ridiculous, Glenn. You're talking shit. That sort of stuff doesn't happen. Hey, I saw that in the dog sport world where, you know, like we had problems in Victoria and all of a sudden people started turning on each other and people were giving each other up. And then it also happened in the tail docking area where pro tail dockers were turning into – pro tail people and in turning everybody else in these people were hard nosed in one direction and then they decided nope we're switching camps this is where survivalism happens and the way that not only do i survive in this area but i become a brown shirt and i start telling the authorities what you're doing if you don't do the right thing based on what we all need to do now other people might say yeah but glenn that needs to happen that's the natural order of things but it's kind of not Because these people don't go about then minding their own business and thinking, okay, well, I've switched camps. I'm just going to rest peacefully in here. They then turn tail against where they used to be before and they kind of blow everybody up, which is outrageous the way it works. They're the things that concern me about these. And this is why I say I don't want it to turn into this. I don't want us to become these tribes. And I agree with you and with your explanation before when you were talking about how it isn't actually two tribes. There is a it's kind of like when you look at sacred geometry, like it's beautiful and it's also mesmerizing to look at. That's kind of how I see all these little teams of people. Like you kind of don't know where some people fit because they, they move and they ebb and flow between the camps and there's other people. There's just tears all over the place. And sometimes I don't even think people know what they do. They're just interested in the good sport of it. They actually just like it because they think, oh, this is, entertaining me like it's something to do on a Wednesday afternoon when you know I'm bored and there's nothing on Netflix I can get on the internet and look at all these shit going at each other and take a side for the hell of it because it's fun it's entertaining you know and then I'll get a few mates in and I'll get them involved and all of a sudden before they know it they have taken a side and then they're angry about something because they're thinking these people make a good point they're against the other people and I, I guess I have to choose a side here because all that sitting on the fence does is gets me an asshole full of splinters. So I might as well find one group that sounds more righteous than the other because I like dogs too. And I don't want these pricks to be putting these things around dogs necks. That's not my outlook on dog ownership at all. But then again, when we start examining the way forward, where does that end with dog sports? Like what happens to the evolution of dog sports? What happens to the evolution of working breeds and so forth when we start taking away some of the methods that these dogs can be controlled in? Because that's already been scrutinised. I remember you saying on an earlier episode how Dutch Parliament looked at it at some stage and says, well, if you can't control their dogs, then we remove the dogs. Words of that effect.
1: You yeah, that? It was the parliament, but it was the study that said, they basically acknowledged that the dogs couldn't be controlled without the tools and the outcome of the study was we just shouldn't be breeding these
0: dogs. Therein lies a part of the solution to some of these problems and that's how serious it starts to become. So when you start talking about the removal of some of the machinery, then you're also talking about some of the decision-making, which people start having extreme thoughts about it. The problem with politicians is that they only get so far involved in it where they think, A, this could be a headliner for me. B, it appears to be popular because now that I've pricked this nerve, all of a sudden 30,000 people in my municipality have jumped up and down. That seems to be a, a hot topic. You know my thoughts on politicians. I think most of them are terrible people. I know that there are some good politicians out there, but- They don't sit with something logically and scientifically enough to say, hang on, this is probably going to be unpopular, but it's right. We need to look at a situation like this. Or how about, I suggested before, how about rather than this side wins, how about we all talk about a win in between and go back to an education package where we say, okay, guys, I'm not about banning. I don't like hearing that sort of thing. I don't like removing access to critical devices that could save lives and could implement better strategies and dog ownership. How about we just look at a way to educate it? How about we, we place ownership of these in front of education. So people just can't walk up to shelves and buy them and just try their luck at them, that they actually have to do some strategic learning platform where people are saying, this is the tool. This is how you fit it. And this is how you use it under educated people who are industry professionals. And again, I know we can all say, well, who are they and how do they get elected? And yes, I agree. That is a part of the problem because even with some of these educational platforms, some of the suckholes that end up getting into some of these things, are they're the wrong people for it. They're party pleasers. The people that really need to be in it are people who have a great understanding of it, both in a academic side and a pragmatic side and can demonstrate that clearly. It's hard to determine who that is, but it's not impossible.
1: Yeah. Mate, I think this is why you and I really are such supporters of the IACP because it's an education-based professional group, right? And I think that education is the key to progressing our industry forward and healing old wounds because for the most part, I really think, like I said, everybody that's in this space is doing so because they want the best for dogs. They just don't necessarily always agree on what the best is, but they do want for the best. And providing them with the maximum of information on what that really is, then I think increases the chances of everybody looking at everybody else and saying, yeah, I'm comfortable with what you're doing. And I think one of the issues around education or knowledge really is that sometimes a little bit of information is dangerous, right? A while ago, many a long while ago, I was listening to a podcast that was a, a, a force for everyone, and it was interesting. They were talking about some interesting stuff, but there was a were topic about e collars, and there was this example about a, a Springer Spaniel that they were teaching the a recall via an e collar, and they were talking about how you know punishment based training. And so like, there's part of your issue, the oxymoron of like, you can't teach a recall with a, with punishment. You can teach a recall with negative reinforcement, but there's this connotation that an e collar is a punishment tool. So therefore when you hit the button, you are providing punishment. And it's a blurring of the lines between the word aversive and punishment. Now those are really different things. A punishment must be aversive, but an aversive is not necessarily punishment. Right. Mm. And so when you provide an aversive experience via the e-collar the perception of the dog is not necessarily punishment so anyway these guys were talking about how uh the e-collar was clearly stressing this dog it was a springer spaniel and the higher they went on the level the dog was not recalling so it was not working as a recall tool no shit, yet they hadn't trained it to do that and also the dog was displacing. And what they said was that the dog was like frantically sniffing the ground, displacing from the stress of the e-collar. On the surface, you would look at that and you, a lot of people would listen to it and go, yeah, okay. We hear about punishment-based training. Well, that's not really a thing. You can't train a dog to do anything by a punishment. You can only stop things happening by a punishment. And then we hear about E collars being used strictly for punishment and how they don't work and they cause stress on the dog and you talk about a fear and aggression and that kind of stuff that can come of it, so it's really easy for people to go, yep, that's what was happening, but it's very likely that's not what was happening. What I would say is that the Springer Spaniel was probably just sniffing away at the ground happily, and the first series of steams that that dog fell wasn't enough to alter the dog's behaviour, but he was doing something he felt the steam, he continued doing what he was doing, which was sniffing. And in doing so, the steam stopped because they just stopped pushing the button. And so the association was made to that, I stopped that via sniffing the ground. And so because the behavior didn't change, the behavior kept going, a pressure that happens within a behavior without altering that behavior becomes an activator and a reinforcer of that behavior so then when they go up in level it's like they had taught the dog to sniff on command and the command was the e-collar and then as they go up in levels and they're stimming away at the dog thinking that their aversive which it is aversive at that point is going to be punishing it wasn't at all chances are that aversive and it was very much aversive was actually motivating the dog to try and perform the behavior more intensely, more powerfully, more everything that he could think of in order to try and turn it off because it was aversive and he wanted to stop. But he thought he stopped it by doing something, not by not doing something. So the reason I tell that story is because it's a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. People know, yes, e collars are aversives and aversives are bad. Okay. It can be all those things it can be all those things an e collar can be aversive and aversives can make things stop but like i say not all aversives are punishment right all punishment has to be aversive mm. but aversives mm. are not always punishment and so i have a pretty deep knowledge and understanding about that stuff i've been taught by the best in the world and i've thought about it a lot and i have a lot of experience doing it right so I can unpack that and explain hey, that's not the tool's fault. That is not inherently an e-collar's fault. And it is, though, the fault of the person who was using that because they didn't fully understand what was happening. But here's the thing, mate: both those people, well, one person explaining it has a master's in behavioral science and the other had a fucking PhD. So, like, they are two extremely highly educated people who don't actually understand how those tools work or how behavior works in the actual application of aversive tools because they're not trained in it. They don't understand it. And they've just been told that it's bad and the rhetoric is yep it's bad and so they have to fit the things the knowledge that they have has to plugs the gap that they see and so they're smashing square pegs through a round hole without fully realizing that whereas someone like you or i who's experienced with those tools can say hey hey stop you're doing the wrong thing that's not the way to do this you're making an association to that tool that is the opposite of what you want Therefore, the higher you go in level, the more aversive you make it, the more committed the dog is going to be to the opposite of what you're trying to train the dog. Now, that's just technical dog training stuff. That's high-level education that's required to understand that. The education is not necessarily a piece of paper that goes on your wall. It's lots of dogs under the water and figuring it out. And the thing is, without us being able to put out information like that, what gets said about those tools is just taken as a fact right? It's just taken because it seems obvious, right? When you tell that story, bring a spaniel that's displaced, that seems legitimate, right? Like that seems fine. But the reason I know that that is what was happening or I can make the educator guess that that's what's happening is because I have done that to detection dogs, Mm. that exact process. I have done that on purpose, done exactly that same thing. I can make them sniff. And if they get if they're like no I don't want to work today, I can say no you have to you have to continue this search. I've done that to police dogs. I've done that to military working dogs. So like it, it's a complex issue. And for the most part, and this is one of the things that sort of annoys me, mate, is the people that want to have debates about this stuff publicly. Those debates are yet to happen at the level that I think is useful, mm. right? Those conversations tend to happen at a level that is week one, day one behavioral science, when in reality, this is a technical sort of thing. And this is, needs to happen at a level that the conversation around tools, the conversation around e-collars, prong collars, aversives in training, all of that really should happen at a very high level. And there's not many people who are, that I see anyway, that are having that conversation at that level and leaving the emotion out of it and actually looking at what really happens.
0: Yeah. You just pretty much nailed what I was about to say is the emotion has to come out of it. There has to be no heat involved in these conversations. The conversation needs to be built around evidence and fact. Even the example that you were talking about a little further back about the dog being displaced in the field, there's a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this myself so many times, and put any dog trainer in this space and I'm sure that they've made this mistake themselves, where what you observe and what you interpret can be vastly two different things until you can see it on a broad enough scale. And it can be seen through a number of different lenses when people are looking at these problems. And then you can establish more or less what the fact of the matter is rather than looking at it and saying, well, I think it's this. Well, you might fire an arrow up in the sky and hit the bullseye just out of pure fucking fluke, and you might get it. But a lot of times, the problem is is that we're not living inside the dog's head. So what we interpret is our fact. It's not the dog's fact. It's not the dog's truth. So that makes it difficult for us. The other thing that I've got to add to this is, can we all agree that just because you've got a PhD or a master's, it doesn't make you the oracle of all knowledge. It makes you very proficient in a lot of knowledge that you've studied and spent time in, it's not the end. For a lot of people, you're still leaving a field of academia and you're entering more of a pragmatic field after that. Yes, you're knowledgeable and yes, you are credited and yes, I believe that you have earned that title and earned the respect and the doctorate that comes with it. No two ways about it. But I mean, like yourself, mate, I've seen conversations that have taken place with people who are titled In certain fields of academia and I'm thinking to myself, you're now wading into a pool that you really don't understand the subject matter and you're coming off stupid right now. Mate, to be honest, again, you know, I've done this myself where I've suffered my own Dunning-Kruger effect where I've had a little bit of knowledge on something. I've read a book on something and I thought, fuck, I know all all there is to know about this now, you know. I'll give you an example of something that I heard the other day, listening to Professor Sapolsky and Dr. Huberman speaking about testosterone because Professor Sapolsky has been getting very deep into the weeds on that. He was talking about how in a marathon, the person that wins the race might get absolutely zero testosterone release, even though they're a very fit alpha sort of person used to winning races. But because they didn't beat their time, they get very little mm. the testosterone release over that. We're talking about men now, right? So if you get a guy who wins a race and he came in seven seconds shorter than what he thought he should have come in, he may get, which is according to Sapolsky, is, there's evidence around this where they've measured and taken swabs of this sort of thing, all of a sudden this person gets zero testosterone where a guy that's 62 down the line who has done way better than he thought all of a sudden has this massive surge of testosterone because he's actually beaten a time that he never absolutely thought he could ever do in his life. However, these facts and these fields weren't recently known until they started really getting into the weeds of things until people really started to put time and considerable effort into studying those fields into finding out how does this actually work now? Like we've talked about it. We've had theory about it. We've come to some anecdotal um, conclusions, but it's still not fact. Like when we're starting to measure it and getting into the micro of it, we're finding out far more detail than what we actually knew before. Even in the evolution of 30 years of watching people using and recommending and training with and and where we've come with remote trainers and the actual knowledge that we have now compared to what we had 30 years ago, unfortunately, we needed to go through that evolution to understand what it was and how not to use it, and how to use it far more surgically in a far more humane manner. And that's what I've seen in the progression of the way that people are using tools right now. People are, are seeing the mistakes of what we did yesteryear, and they're looking at it and saying, you know what, all of that, it's unfortunate, and it's sad that that happened, but it's got us to a point now where we can actually utilize these tools in such a more humane manner that dogs are all over the world and trainers all over the world are going to benefit from that. So this is what I'm encouraging other people in the industry to look at is to say, I don't like them. I get it. I know you don't like them. However, people are trying to be better at it. They are trying to implement the science of it. And again, this comes back to my original points. The education does matter. The real education and working together to implement these strategies and to analyze the science of we can be better and we are getting better. The evidence is there. You can see the timeline of how people started to where they are now. You're talking about evidence, it's there. I'm part of it. I watched that. I watched that evolution. Like 30 years ago, when I first was introduced to the old Tritronics remote trainers and the way they were and the way they were implemented and the strategies around training – Nobody was doing real negative reinforcement then because you didn't have it in such incremental layers. It was just brutal. Those old collars were just brutal the way they did it. Now that doesn't mean you couldn't do it. I'm not saying I'm not blaming the the company or the collar for it. I'm just saying it was difficult and the knowledge that we have now and the technology that we have now and now that people have progressed far more down the line, it's way different. I'm talking eons, light years of difference in what I saw then to what I'm seeing now and the way that men and women are using remote trainers around the world. Funnily enough, you know, there's conversations that I used to see on Clubhouse where men were getting blamed for all the wretched things that they were doing with remote trainers. I would confidently say now that probably far more women are using remote trainers than men are. It's not a fact. I'm not saying it's a fact, but I just know a lot of women out there who are using remote trainers and doing a bloody good job of it too. I'm not saying that they're using them and they're doing a poor job of it. I'm saying they're using them and they're like fucking surgeons with these things. They're amazing how incredulously detailed they are with these training devices and the relationship that they have with their dogs. Like you just see how alive their dogs are, how they spring into shape. There's nothing that you would look at it and saying, well, that looks like a picture of horror or like an entirely aversive outcome. To me, it looks lovely. It looks like a dog that understands what its parameters are because it's spelled out very clearly.
1: Yeah, man. I feel like we're getting to the point where we're about to flog a dead horse, but like yeah. it's, education is the, And I think it's exactly that is allowing, you know, if you think that your method is correct, show us. like get a, Like put it out there, show us exactly how you do it and let the people decide by trying to reproduce what you're doing. And that's the key. You put it all out there and with as much detail as possible to give people the full picture and understand how do we really do these things? And you might find people go, hmm, I'm going to step over to that side and I'm going to do that. And that could go in both directions. You might find people that go, hey, I wasn't aware that there was such um Intricate ways of changing behavior using just positive reinforcement. I'm going to start implementing that in my work. And you might find that there's people that are like, hey, I didn't realize there were ways of being so clear with a dog using a tool of negative reinforcement and how I can lower arousal and stress and all kinds of things by just providing that clarity and consistency to the dog in whatever behavior. So maybe I'll give that a go. Education will level us all off and we can all then just decide what we feel comfortable in because- as we've said a million times efficacy is not available to discuss like whether or not you can be efficient in and capable of training a dog with and without tools that is not available to discuss that is we can see that we can observe people doing it the ethics we absolutely can discuss we absolutely and mm. through education you can then go oh i didn't realize that's how it worked or i didn't realize that's how the dog might perceive it or i didn't realize that's the 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 technique that you're doing to to change that or build that behavior i didn't understand that's what's happening there now i'm okay with it i wasn't because i had assumed you were doing something and it turns out that you're not because now i'm here seeing it or i've watched your video or whatever it is and to answer your original idea your original question on what does the world look like with tool bands if there's no tool bands. I think people who would push for that really need to decide whether they're looking to increase the welfare of a dog or dogs in general. Because if you look at a trainer or a person who's using a tool in a way that you think is not the right way for a particular dog, and you're going to you know, pioneer the charge on banning tools and taking off everyone in order to increase the welfare of that dog, you will be successful. The welfare of that dog will probably increase, but what you will not be doing is increasing the welfare of dogs as a whole. In fact, you would be reducing it. I, I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that absent the tools, the welfare of dogs as a gross, like when you look at the whole picture, would be be decreasing rather than increasing. Now, of course, there's individual cases. There's there's certain cases where some dogs are much better off without their owner, handler, or whatever, having access to those tools because they're well-manning people. It's not like they're going to beat on their dog absent the tool. They are just misusing the tool poorly in that moment. There are cases like that. I 100% acknowledge it. But taking the tools off of everybody will not increase the welfare of all dogs it will for a few yes for the majority no (sighs) (laughs) heavy topic i feel like we've talked about this so many times but it comes around because things come around in the industry and i have these moments of frustrations myself where you just look at some people and the things they say and you're just like oh for fuck's sake can you just Can you just give us a a, a couple of weeks off from this? Can we just be allowed to trade our dogs for a little while without having to justify it to you who you really don't know what you're talking about? Often cases when you see people complaining about they watch a video of Bart Bell and using an e-collar and they're saying this idiot doesn't know how to train dogs without an e-collar. And you you feel like saying to people, you know, this is like you turning up to an, a rocket scientist who's currently building his rocket and you trying to explain to him how your shoes are way better than a rocket. Like, Like, you have no idea what you're even seeing. You have no idea. Like you're not in the same sphere and you're trying to tell him he's wrong.
0: Ah. I actually saw a funny post the other day. It was real. It was a real-time discussion happening between a PhD of immunology versus some rando on the internet. And the person was basically saying, I appreciate your comments. I'm just going to put it out there that you're wrong. And the person said, no, man, you're wrong. I'm a PhD. Like this is my field. The field that you're talking about now, that's my field. That's what we're talking about. These are the specifics that I've actually spent my time doing my doctorate on. So what are you going to tell me to do next? Go and Google the answer. And I thought you just won the internet for the day. Yeah, man. Well, we've seen that in the last
1: couple of years, especially is the death of expertise. Like Mm. people's, it's like everybody's opinion is worth the same. And it's like, well, actually it's, been my life to study this. I know everything about it. I uh, wrote the book. In my opinion is worth more than a guy who does his research via memes or like just feels strongly that Bill Gates is trying to microchip him. <laughs> it's like, you know, dude, like, there are people who really fucking are experts. And we, the death of expertise. It's like we just don't acknowledge that people know more than us because we have strong feelings anymore.
0: Mm. It was interesting also listening to you talking about getting fed up and hearing people recycling things and just not giving you a break from that. I was thinking to myself while you were saying that, fuck man, I've got 25 years on top of you where it never ends. It's like a hurdy gurdy. (laughs) It just, (laughs) (laughs) it keeps spinning around and around and around and it collects a few people and it throws a few people off I think I said it the other day in another episode where it's like a five year reunion where you kind of think, Oh, mm. look, this group have finally come together. Like we've finally got this. And then it's the new group of crusaders oh, who have come awesome. out of, yeah, well, they're, they're a new group of crusaders who have just fresh out of university and they're ready to solve all the world's problems. And you know, they're really woke and they really with it, man. And they've got all the information and there's nothing that you know, that they don't know because they know 10 times over what you do. It's yeah. just like, it's a spill out of every five years. And I think to myself, yeah, it's going to happen. And I can remember having arguments with my grandmother and I'm sure she used to smirk at me thinking you little smart ass talking about shit that you have no idea about, you know, which your grandfather and I lived extensively through and you're, you've just read it in a book somewhere and all of a sudden you're the Oracle. So yeah, yeah. I kind of get it because there are conversations now where I just sit and just think this is probably a good time just to pretend I don't know anything about it, just to save some of my remaining sanity left and give myself a peaceful midlife. (laughs) Personally, I do think it would be a shame to see a world without tools where we really didn't give a good college try to come together to create a better educational practice where nobody has to feel the sting of defeat and say, well, I lost and you gained. I think it would be beneficial out of that was to say it's restricted to you until you do get educated. When you do get educated, you can have access to it. But apart from that, it's not available to you.
1: I don't know about not being available. Like I I don't know. I've got my own reservations on that, but I just think that I I agree with you a hundred percent in education being the key. And it should be like really unbiased, like here's all the facts. And there's loads of people that are able to teach that and you just go like hey here's the situation and here it is on the whiteboard, and i can map it all out for you and these this is the cost benefit analysis like using a clicker and food in this situation can get you this far but the risks are this the benefit would be this using a prong collar in this situation can get you this far the risks are this the benefit is this and it's up to you to then decide and you got to read the play you got to look at the dog it's like i said you know when we're talking about it that's why i never take anything off the table because then I'm, you know, I'm not always capable of doing what I think is the best thing for the dog. I want to be able to look at the dog and go, Hey, within the the knowledge that I have, and I have a lot, I'd spend a lot of time researching it within the knowledge that I have and what I can understand what's happening with you this is what i think is going to give you the best outcome and in some instances i am a force free trainer because i think that's what the dog needs and in other instances i am using a lot of tools of pressure because i think that's what the dog needs you know it's like it's in that movie bark man he says some people's lives have been all cream and it's time to stir in some shit and some people's lives have been all shit and it's time to stir in some cream that's the role of the master coach. The trainer is to look and go like, okay, what's the correct thing to use in this situation Mm. rather than just being a trick pony. And when you start taking out, things that you can use. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to use a full spectrum motivation, accept that thing or accept that thing, accept that thing. Well, when you face where that's, you know, that to be the best outcome pro- you can provide for the dog, but you're not willing to do it because you've said to someone, you decided you're in a certain camp or whatever, and you decide you're not going to, you are not doing what is right for the dog in that moment. You are serving your ego and that's it. Yep. That's it. Yep, that's I'll wrap it up. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, just like it, rate it, share, subscribe, tell a friend, tell a friend in real life. You know what we're going to do? We needed to put at the back end here. I ran it past some people who have said that they want to support the show. We have a lot of people want to advertise at the front of the show and me and Glenn are really conscious of making it too ad heavy at the front. We're not trying to make a bunch of money out of doing this, but we do want to promote cool people so we were gonna say about adding some stuff to the back end here of saying people who support the show so we can say like these are people who we like and support the show and rattle off some names at the back end so if you're interested in that you can get in contact with us and if you're people that have asked to advertise and we've said hey we can't really do that because it's like we can't just keep adding more ads and
0: if you want to just be mentioned at the end we could do that I just need to add something on that because there's an observation that I've made, which has also come up with a few people who have said, hey, there's a couple of people that are jumping into the discussion group and sort of advertising their own business. They're promoting themselves on our forum, which is nice. And we've encouraged ourselves to be a community. However, it is about the canine paradigm. The community is supposed to be talking with the community and sharing with the community about the canine paradigm and things that we talk about and subject matters in and around that. And along the way, you know, like we've kind of picked up a couple of hitchhikers who enjoy it a little bit more. However, what I'm saying is in the good spirit of things, if you want to go ahead and promote your stuff, how about you fling us a couple of bucks in Patreon, do the right thing, and then go ahead and promote your your gear in there. And that way uh, everybody stays happy with each other rather than Having to have the eye of Mordor look at you and say, hey, man, let's talk about how much content you're actually throwing up on our and our page and not actually promoting the canine paradigm through your products and services as well. Let's be fair to each other. I'm all about give and take. I think that's a fair philosophy to work under. I'm trying not to be a prick about it. And as Pat said, we're not money chasers. We're not ambulance chasers with this sort of thing. But the revenue that we do get goes back into our show. We've made that clear. All the equipment we bought, Pat's just bought an, another camera so we can improve the quality of- Yeah, but it, I mean, it, it's expensive stuff too. And that empties yeah. out the bank account when we do those sort of things, but it's so we can improve the quality of what's happening in Patreon and a few other projects that are going on in, in and around what we're providing. That comes through the revenue that we actually make. So again, Pat said it in last week's episode, we don't make a wage out of this. Every single dollar that's gone into the bank account and come out of the bank account has gone in to improve the standards and services that we're trying to provide through this podcast and all the other services that are going around it. So please promote us, help us, share with us. We're not greedy guys. We never have been. We love this community. We give a lot away. We give a hell of a lot of our time away and we do it because this community rewards us as well thank you. And you do know that we love you and we do know that you appreciate us. And it does sound like a dad sitting his kids down to talk to him sort of talk. But (laughs) I kind of looked at it the other day and I thought, yeah, there is a little bit of slipping one way than the other there. So I thought it was about time that we had this adult conversation. You know what
1: you shouldn't do in Facebook groups either is delete your comments when you ask a question. Today, it wasn't in our group, it was in a different one. And I'm not on Facebook much and I tend not to get too involved in discussions when I am there, but I had a little baby asleep in my arms and I was stuck in a chair and I was looking on Facebook and someone asked a very technical e-collar question in a different group. And there were a bunch of kind of less than ideal answers. I get why she would have deleted her question, but I spent half an hour writing a super thorough reply the question right explaining in great detail all the answers she could possibly have needed and when i hit the little send button it said the post was no longer there because in that half an hour she had the post and i was fucking furious so Mm. don't do that if you ask questions, or just when you get the answer, you can leave it there for other people to see, and maybe someone else has already put a lot of time, effort, and energy into answering you. They don't want it just to be for you. They were putting that information out for everyone to see. Mm. I feel like that's really important. Guys. Don't delete shit like that. I was infuriated. I was really mad. I was really, really mad. I, anyway, I'm i hearing on. your pain. <laughs> if you want to support the show patreon that's the way to do it jump into there we're finally going to come out of lockdown sometime soon and i'll actually be able to get back to making content for that and going to places and talking to people and getting information into there so i'm excited about that i've got some projects in the winds you could jump into teespring buy yourself some cool merch get yourself a t-shirt or a wall tapestry or some underpants or something i don't know just wear the logo if you want to get in contact with us jump into that discussion group Or you could shoot us an email. We are info at thecanineparadigm.com. That's it. Turtle tits. Shut up, Liam,
0: you little bitch.